You are listening to Normalized Crime, an in-depth look at gang life and all the effects that come along with it. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Normalized Crime. I'm Eric. What's going on? Berto here. And Berto, you're taking us on a journey to an Indian reservation today, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess we can uh, we can take a little trip, man. Um, this is a... This is a unique, I guess, um, episode because it's going to kind of give an idea of how, I guess, I don't want to say easily the gang can spread um, because that's that's kind of a process, but how it can spread, you know, and how, I guess, easily when it does spread, it can infect the community and it can, you know, be overbearing and overpower a community. So... Yeah, I think this is a this would be a good little insight on on kind of you know, I can't give you a hundred percent every step that went into it because at its inception I wasn't even a king. But um and I'm talking about the 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 chapter of Latin Kings that ended up being founded on the Indian reservation. But um I can give you pretty good knowledge about what I knew, how it started. And then also some firsthand experience about actually being there. So this is we're we're going not only to an Indian reservation, but the reservation had in their own chapter of the Kings. Intriguing, huh? Yeah. Only in Wisconsin, I would say. Yeah, that's for sure. So so basically <laughs> in like the late nineties, uh, around ninety seven, ninety-eight, um <clears throat> guy by the name of Champ, right? So uh, we've heard that name before. It's actually Mondi's mm-hmm. older brother. He was one of the one of two founding members of 19th Street. Him and Boy. And um, <clears throat> so, Champ was and still is a really, really well known and well well respected uh, Latin King. And he rose the ranks himself. He ended up actually becoming, from my understanding, a regional enforcer which as I explained in previous episodes, you know, that's past the uh, subchapter level. You know, when you have a subchapter of, of the Latin Kings, when it's the Inca, the Casinca, well, this is above that. And this is actually on the regional level where they control the whole region of all these subchapters. And he was the regional enforcer, which is, you know, it's the regional Inca, then the regional Casinca, and then the regional enforcer. So it's, it's a pretty, pretty prestigious spot. And it, allows you to rub shoulders with a lot of guys that make decisions. And so I can't be a hundred percent and give a bunch of certainty on exactly how the idea was initiated. Um, I guess I can just kind of vaguely speak to it. You know, it was, it was a situation where there were women on the reservation and they ended up dating into uh, the Latin Kings and, and having a relationship with, with one of the Latin Kings and a conversation comes about, about, uh, the accessibility of drugs, you know, and, and obviously most importantly to the reservation, it's, it's, it's about the accessibility to drugs on the reservation. And so, you know, her boyfriend, this, this, this person, um, and I'm just speaking in vague terms because it, I don't know for sure if it was one or if it was multiple, but this is this is the this is the origin of it. And so, you know, 
obviously numbers start getting thrown around and and I can give you a quick comparison. Um, when when I ended up going up there and actually going up to the reservation, right? If I were selling a 20 rock of crack cocaine, the value on the Indian reservation would be fifty dollars. Mm-hmm. So just just in that example right there, you know, it goes to show how big of a spread that is. Well, how okay, so how much would it would that have cost, say Milwaukee? Oh, that's what I said. It's a, it's a, like a 20 rock, you know, $20. Oh, worth a 20 rock. Okay. So yeah, when, yeah. when you say 21, sorry, not up on my drug lingo. <laughs> so a 20 yeah, rock I, I should is have 20 been a bucks. Bit, okay. <laughs> I should, I, I should have been a little bit more, a little bit more descriptive, but, but yeah, so that's what it, and, and, and also, you know, you got to understand crack cocaine is like, it's, it's of more value than regular cocaine. Okay. Mm-hmm. At this time. And so, so that's a small comparison. So if I, if I go back, that's the conversation that's happening between, you know, this girl and this guy and, and then ultimately between the, the guys, which were two Kings and, you know, they start devising a plan like anybody, you know, wow, that's a lot of money to be made. I mean, if you take, you know, an ounce of crack up, up there and you pay seven fifty, you know, and you go up there and you make two grand, 2,500 off of it. Imagine if you take 10 ounces of crack. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's, um, that's the, that's the wide margin that people see and, and then you're blinded by this money, you know? And so, yeah, obviously once that conversation happens now, another conversation needs to be had. Well, okay, let's make a plan. Let's go up there. And then ultimately they went up there, they being champ and, and, you know, this other guy who was also a King and then, and then, you know, boy went. And they see it and they see the money is very real. You know, you got to understand on the Indian reservation, you know, you know, from my understanding, they don't pay rent, right? Because the the land was, was allotted to them, right? So mm-hmm. they don't pay rent. So their money is basically, I don't want to say free money, but they have a lot of freedom with what they do with their money. And so there's a lot of drug use on, 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 in these communities, you know, it's like any other place, right? I mean, people are looking for things to do. And so, Obviously, these guys took advantage of that, took advantage of the opportunity. And so that carried on. And obviously, it progressed and it progressed and it got bigger. And that's how it ended up being what it eventually was. And so there was a there was a middle point where Champ had to, he had to make a decision. And the decision is, do I continue? This is what I'm thinking in my head. Do I continue to go to this reservation and be, I guess, kind of rogue because it's not like you have family up there. It's not like you know people up there and just try to sell drugs amongst these people and take, you know, run the risk of obviously somebody robbing you, somebody shooting you, or do I create an allegiance? And that's kind of what he did. He started recruiting. You know, there was there was guys up there that obviously knew the the females and and the women and, and I mean and the and the other the other Latin king that was up there. And so he did his own, you know recognizance, so to speak, and, and got a group together. And then now the big part of the process comes in. He had to go to Chicago and get permission um, to open up a tractor up there. And that's how it goes, right? Like you can't just open up somewhere. I don't care who you are. You can't just go. I mean, unless you're like the founder of the Latin Kings, right? He can do it. Right. But I'm mm-hmm. saying like normal guys, even if you have rank, even if you have your Inca or Kasinka or whatever, you can't just go and open up a chapter anywhere without permission. So Chicago has the say on that. Yeah, they are the end all be all. And if the if they don't, if they aren't informed, well, that's when 
that chapter becomes a rogue chapter. And it basically is, you know, they they will be at war at, with war at war with kings, you know, because they don't have permission to to proclaim the nation, so to speak. But yeah, so so that's how that went. And they he got permission and now it's an active chapter. So fast forward years. Okay, go ahead. You had something to say? Yeah. Well, I wanted to clarify some a couple things here. One of the things you had talked about was how the the I forget who it was, but was the regional enforcer or eventually became the regional enforcer. Yeah, that was so true. when you say, okay, so Champ is the regional enforcer. Is there a regional for Milwaukee or does that fall like under the umbrella of Chicago? Yeah. So I, I kind of, I mean, I know it, it's, it's a hard, it's hard to really retain a lot of the stuff because it's <laughs> so many, there's so many moving parts, but I, I explained it before. Uh, basically, you know, we, you know, this part within every sub chapter, there's a structure, right? There's a, mm-hmm. there's a hierarchy, the Inca, the Xinca and, and on down. Well, then you got to remember there's four sub chapters in Milwaukee, right? Well, at this time there was, there was four sub chapters in Milwaukee and then you have Racine and then you have Kenosha and then you have Delavan and then you have like Geneva, you have Rockford and this is all a region, right? So all mm-hmm. those sub chapters are under one region. Right. Okay. So there has to be an hierarchy for that region, you know, and at this time, I believe we were in it was it was called the northwest region. And we yeah. And, and we ended up eventually moving to the southwest region and how they determine what region you're in. I couldn't really tell you, but I just know that's where we were at at that time. And there's different regions. There's so many sub chapters in one region. And then in that in that entity, there's, you know, another structure. Inca, Kasinka, Enforcer, and they just oversee all the sub chapters. That's why I say it's a prestigious job because it's like you're not just overseeing 10 members, 15 members that are in your chapter. You're overseeing 15, 20 members in every chapter across the lower half of Wisconsin and the upper half of Illinois kind of thing. You see what I'm saying? So that's that's why it's it's so much more powerful of a position. And also because you have that position, you have the accessibility to other big time decision makers in the Latin King organization. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's why he was able to make that move. And then on top of that, like I said, he's always been a well-respected guy. Like his name rings bells to this day. Like, you know, I, there's nowhere that you can go on the South side of Milwaukee and say King champ and they won't immediately know who you're talking about. So when you, ha- okay. So when you have one of this regional chapter, is that more or less the same? Is that just like a chapter, kind of like what you were, but they're they're so they have their own territory and everything like that, but they're no. just marked as the regional chapter? Or no, 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 no. The 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 regional positions are only positions. There's no chapter underneath it, so there's no soldiers. There's no foot soldiers under underneath the region. The regional spots are literally just overseers. So if if it's like, look at it like this. If there's, you know, five Ford companies in Wisconsin and three Ford companies in Illinois, and they're all in the same region, well, each one of those individual companies has its own CEO, but then there's a a big CEO who oversees all those Mm -hmm. companies. Well, that's what, that's what that regional team is. They're just overseers. There's no actual soldiers underneath them you, you see what I'm saying? They're overseeing yeah. all the soldiers in every other individual chapter. You know what I mean? 
So, so it almost seems like they're almost like pencil pushers in a way to the, for the Latin Kings. The, like, the, the regional officers. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, kind of, but you got to remember, like, there's so much power that is attached to that position. Like you have to really, really be somebody in order to be even in a, in a consideration for that kind of position, mm-hmm. you know, because you're, you're, you're standing out, not amongst your chapter, you know, not even amongst Milwaukee, you're standing out amongst the state, you know? So it's like, mm-hmm. it, you have to really, really, you know, be, be well thought of in order to, to get that spot. So, so yeah, so that's kind of how that works. So once you got approval for the chapter, you know, now it's kind of like a free for all, you know, now it's, it's, there's members that are being added, you know, the money is, 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 is starting to add up. And, and listen, let me say this to the viewers and to you. And, and, um, so when I speak about money or, or, or numbers and, and all the things that go on, you know, as far as drugs, or even when I was talking about the prison economy, like those numbers might not be large in contrast to real, real drug dealers. But I think I've always established, like, I've never been a drug dealer, right? I've never mm-hmm. hustled and been on a high scale. So, you know, even like making three to six grand in a football season in a prison, that might not seem like a lot to anybody. But to me, like that was enough, right? And right. so, and so it's the same, the same principle applies here. Um, I think the grand total of their indictment was like a kilo and a half of crack cocaine. And so that's, that doesn't seem like a large amount of, you know, of drugs, especially considering the time frame um, was on and off between like 97 and 2002. So it was like a five year span. But the thing is this, like I just mentioned, if, you know, you're bringing up two ounces of crack cocaine every week and you're making, you know, 2,500 off of it profit that's in your pocket, you're one person, you know, and there's 10 of you guys up there, you see how to scale, it scales up, it gets bigger, you know, Mm -hmm. but like I said, even in comparison to just a normal drug dealer, that's probably not a lot, but to me, it seemed like a lot. And to, to kind of give you a little bit of insight. uh, So there was a, there was a big, there used to be a big disparity in the time that you would get as far as prison sentences when it came to crack cocaine and, and regular cocaine. And it was called the hunter to one law, right? And this law okay. was in place for years and years and years. And it was, it was taking guys out. And what I mean by that is basically the hunter to one law is if you get charged with one gram of crack, that's equivalent to a hundred grams of cocaine. So with that law, they were burying people, man, because, you know, like right, right here, this law right here, right? The, I mean, this, this amount right here, the one and a half kilos of crack cocaine. Well, that's equivalent to a hundred kilos of cocaine. You, you see mm-hmm. how, like how, how big the discrepancy was. So when these guys actually went to, to, you know, when they got indicted, you know, I'm kind of putting the cart before the horse, messing up my story. But when they got indicted, they got 30 years for one kilo, basically. And that Holy was just crap. because of this. That was just because of the disparity. Now they ended up getting some time back because that law changed, you know, not too long ago. But but so yeah, so that's some context, just so you know, like that's how big the jump is in disparity. Yeah. So so anyways, back to this, back to this this story and and kind of this 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 origin story. So 
that's that's where the foundation was laid, right? And now, you know, throughout like my upbringing in the, in the gang, right, and and some other guys, nobody really had access to this reservation. It was weird. It was kind of like I want to say it, it, to me personally, it kind of felt like Champ and Boy's little secret, you know, and <laughs> for real, and, and and you know, not not that they were like, um, you know, like hiding the the chapter from us it was just more of like they didn't want a bunch of us to try to go up there and sell drugs and mess it up for them that's the way i took it you know because it was like you know it wasn't really really talked about put it like that like nobody ever talked Mm -hmm. about them brothers up there like you know i'm saying they were really just barely barely being brought around before they got indicted uh so so yeah that's kind of how i felt man and um and to be fair, like as far as like, you know, those guys integrating themselves on the reservation, like, you know, Champ ended up actually like having a kid with one of the women from the reservations and they were together. And like I said, the other Latin King, um, he was with somebody. And then there was there was like other women that were down, that, you know, they kind of they, they blended themselves with with uh, not just, you know, guys from the Indian reservation. So it wasn't like. It wasn't like they were complete strangers, you know. These guys were like couples, and they would they would make trips together, and and so that's kind of how that worked. So so eventually, it did kind of trickle down to the guys, right? I think once like once Champ got locked up, and Boy went on the run, it kind of turned into a thing where those kings up there they weren't they didn't really have nowhere to report to because they were so isolated. This is like in the Western district of Wisconsin. So they were so isolated. It wasn't like they had, you know, somebody to report to all the time, like they did when champ was out or when boy was out. And Mm -hmm. so, um, yeah, I remember, I remember when, when, uh, snuff was out and fro was out and this is like right around the time after I became the Kasinka, it was like towards the end of 2002 was when we first got initially invited to kind of go in and make some money up there. And, uh, at that time, you know, we were like, I, I always reiterate, I was never really a drug dealer, but I sold drugs, you know, and I sold drugs obviously just because I used it as a means to survive, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I remember like me and my brother and fro, we were kind of like all in, like we, we shared everything. You know, Fro was like a, a good friend. He was always by my house. And um, he was, you know, he was like, he was like, he was like one of the brothers I looked up to at, you know, when I was younger. And then, and then, um, yeah, he was like, he, he was such a good guy because he wasn't like one of those older guys, like we talked about last week with Jay, you know, he wasn't like one of those that kind of put his power on you. And I was a king before you. He was never like that. Like Fro was just a good hearted guy. And mm-hmm. so like, yeah, he was really close with me and Tim. And so we had our money all together you know, from like the crack sales that we were making. And then Mondi had his own like little, his own little money, like from the crack he was selling. And so it was like, we were deciding like, okay, well, how many people should we send up there? And then, you know, how long should they stay up there? And how much of it? Because you got to remember when guys were making these decisions back then, like not only did we think about, okay, let's get money amongst us, but also can we make the, the nation a little money. Can we make 19th street a little bit of money? You know, that way we had our own nest egg for 19th street. And so mm-hmm. like, yeah, we would sell our own drugs, but we would also sell drugs on behalf of 19th street, you know, and that money was to go, you know, specifically to, 
to whatever we needed. And so all them things considered, we were thinking about, okay, do we take some up there for, for, you know, for the, for the nation? And then we take our own stuff. And ultimately we just came to the conclusion, okay, we've never been up here. We don't have no idea what it's like. So let's just go up here and see first what it's like. And then we'll go from there. Right. Mm -hmm. And so Fro ended up going up there before us. And, and I remember he just like kind of disappeared and Fro went up there with our, you know, with our money and with our, with our, uh, with our crack, you know? Mm-hmm. So me and Tim, we're kind of like, this guy's missing in action. He ain't been around. We're like, yo, like what's going on here? Right. So Mondi's like, yo, now mind you, Mondi is champ's little brother. So he has a connection to the reservation because like I said, champ was involved with a, with a girl, with a, with a woman. You know, and they mm-hmm. had a kid. So so he was familiar with with her and and kind of he, he's never been on a reservation, but he was familiar with what had been going on. So he wanted to go. He was like, yeah, I'll go. So me and Tim were like, well, we got to go find Fro. So we're definitely going. Right. <laughs> Fro's got our money. We're like, yo, we're, that was the plan. That's what we ended up doing. So this is like I said, this is towards the end of of O2. And, uh, you know, we're excited about meeting the Kings up there and just kind of getting away and, and being in new places. You know, I was young. You know, we're all young. So the plan was we take the Greyhound to Eau Claire. And then at Eau Claire, it's about an hour away from the reservations. The reservations are called LCO. Uh, I, I don't know the correct pronunciation of it. And, and then the other one was called Hurdle. I know that. There was two, there was two like joined, LC, conjoined LCOs, like, I mean, uh, uh, reservations, the LCO and Hurdle. They were like right next to each other. And Kings lived on both parts. Um, so the plan was go to Eau Claire and the Greyhound. They're going to come pick us up um, and then take us up to the reservation. And, you know, we'll end up meeting Fro up there and we'll sell some crack. We'll make some money and then we'll come back. Right. So this is the plan. Mm-hmm. Nothing ever goes to plan. You know that. Uh, you yeah. listen to a lot of my stories now. So nothing ever goes to plan. <laughs> um, and this is what Fro told us. Yo, we'll, I'll, I'll be, I'll be, you know, I'll make sure the brothers come get you and we'll be good. Right. So. Bam, we go. And I just think about it now. Like we were just a couple, we were just all kids. None of us were even, I mean, maybe like 16. I think Tim was 16. I was 15. Mondi was probably 15 with me, maybe turning 16. Maybe he turned 16 too. But we were all kids and we were just able to go and buy Greyhound tickets like nothing. No ID, no adult. And I just think about that now. That's crazy. But anyways, <laughs> so we got the Greyhound tickets. We got a little bag you know, we're out, we're, we're doing grown people stuff. Right. And and we go mm-hmm. and we get out in Eau Claire. I, I remember they took us and they dropped us off at like a McDonald's and it's like a, it's like a really, really busy. It's almost like a highway. It's so busy, but there's, it's actually a traffic light and um, there's like a McDonald's there and there's a, there's a, a, a gas station, a kitty corner to it, but it's highway. Cause it, they just got off the highway to drop us off. So we get out and nobody's there. And we're like, what the hell? Like, they like, never showed right, up, huh? Yeah, I'm like, something's fishy, right? So now you got to remember, me and Tim don't have no money. Like, Fro's got all our money, right? So we know nobody in Eau Claire. I have no idea where we're at. We don't have a, we don't have money to get back on the bus. And even if we did, we couldn't because the bus had left because that's what they do. They drop people off and keep going to the next stop. And so, like, we're worried. Mondi had a little bit of money. That was the only thing that kind of saved us. He had not not much. I think he might have had, like, 50 bucks or something, right? So mm-hmm. we go across the street. Uh, funny. It's, it's just funny thinking back. Like, 
the character that Monty was like, he was just a, he was, a, it was, a, it seems like nothing now when I, when I say it out loud, but like, he like literally had like a little suitcase with on wheels already. Like this is O2, <laughs> right? Like just, just a prissy guy, right? Like this, he was this high class dude. Me and Tim got like a garbage bag with our clothes in there. And I'm just, I just laugh thinking about it now, especially because I'm the guy with the bag now. But anyways, um, so, so yeah, we go to the gas station, we get a, a, a phone card. And the first thing that Monty does is he calls, you know, Champ's girl because he knows she's on the res and she don't answer. And so he's like, damn. So once she don't answer, obviously, like he's like, well, because he figured he could count on her more than anything. Obviously, if, if the if the Kings were going to come, they would have been there already. So he was like, let me try to get it for sure thing. She didn't answer. So then I call the Kings on the reservoir. We had a number for the Kings where Fro was at. So I call and I'm a, the dude, the guy's name was Chunk. He was a king from up there. I'm like, what's up, bro? And uh, I like, I knew, I knew, I knew of a couple kings from up there already because they had came and visited Milwaukee, and um, and they were pretty cool. And so, I'm like, yo, what's up? Where's Fro at? He's like, ah, oh, he's not here. And I'm like, what? I'm like, was he coming to get us? He's like, no. Where, where are you? Where are you at? And I was like, bro, we're at the bus station. Like, Fro told us he, you guys were gonna come get us. You know, like we ain't got no ride, bro. And I think about it now, like he was really, really, he was just a bogus guy for what he did, man. But anyways, uh, what he did was, I'm not talking about Fro, I'm talking about Chunk. He didn't even come get us. But anyways, so he's like, yeah, Fro, he's like, yeah, Fro's in Black River Falls. Now, once, like, I guess once it got to a point where guys were like comfortable up there on the reservation, they started like finding other places to go and like hang out, but then also like to spread their wings and like sell drugs. It was, it was the craziest thing. And so that's where he went. Right. And, and so we're like, what the hell, man? So we're stuck and we're telling Chunk, they're like, where are you going to come get us? He's like, oh, bro, I can't. He's like some, he, he made up some dumb excuse about why he couldn't leave his house. Right. And he's got a car and everything. Mm-hmm. And, and we're like, literally like, bro, we got nowhere to go. We got no money, like nothing. And he's like, I'll try to get a hold of Fro for you and, and just call me back. And we're like, bro, like we're running out of out of minutes here. Like we're using a phone car. Right. So, so we're like scrambling, man. And, and he's like, yeah, man, just call me back in a little bit. And, and it's late now, you know, we had took the bus. It's probably like, you know, getting close to, you know, 1030 at night. So it's dark. Like, you know, uh, we got nowhere to go, nowhere to sleep. I imagine McDonald's going to close soon. You know, this gas station is going to close soon. So I'm like, we're starting to scramble a little bit. Right. So this dude, Mondi, <laughs> Mondi's like, all right, we're going to get one more phone card. And if not, then like, we're going to have to like, try to find somewhere to, to post up, man. And like, and like camp up until we get a hold of somebody. <laughs> yeah. Like this is, it's literally like survival mode. Right. So <laughs> we go to the gas station and I swear, man, like, I, I don't want to turn this into like a religious show, but I just feel like this is looking back, like this is how I knew God was in my life. Like in certain <laughs> times, like certain times, my, not just being alive right now. Right. Cause I went through a bunch of crazy stuff, but the little things like this, like just blow my mind on how God was like, just literally had a hand in, in, in the direction of my life. And, and so we're, we're walking out of the gas station. He gets another phone card, right? It's like a $10 phone card. And we're, we're walking out of the gas station and this, this guy's driving by and he's drunk, right? He's drunk. I, I mean, not like wasted drunk, but he's drunk. You know what I'm saying? And he's like, hey, he, he yells to, to us, we're walking. He's like, hey, is any of you guys named Frog? And I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm like, we're like, no. And he's like, he's like, oh, or he was like, no, no, no. He's like, some guy named Frog told me to come get you, right? 
And so we're thinking he's talking about Fro. And uh -huh. um, and we're like, Fro? And he's like, nah, Frog. Bro. And so we're like, come here. So he pulls into the gas station and he's like, man, he's like, yeah, uh, some guy from, he's like, he's right down here. He's a white guy. He's told me some guy named Frog says he's got some friends over here. He needs me to come get some completely different people. <laughs> Nothing to do with us. So we're like, hey, man, listen. We're in bad shape right now. And we started running down our situation. We're like, listen, I think Mondi had 30 bucks left on him because he had, he had bought two phone cards, two $10 phone cards. We're like, listen, man, we'll give you this 30 bucks. We'll fill up your tank. Because at that time, 30 bucks will fill up your tank. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and leave you some money left over. So so he's like, all right, where are you going? And we're like, man, we're going right up here to Hurdle. He's like, right. He's like, man, that's like an hour away. <laughs> and he's and he's drunk, though. So we're like, come on, man. Like, we ain't got nobody. He's like, you know what? He pulls up to the damn, uh, <laughs> he pulls up to the gas pump. He's like, pump and pay, motherfuckers. <laughs> and so, like, we're happy, right? So we're all happy, right? We're like, all right, bet, man. And it was just crazy. Like, so how you can't even make that up, man. Like, the chances of that happening, man, in any story, you, you know, any, any, Film industry would shoot that script down. They like it's the chances that happen. That's completely to unbelievable. Yeah, it's, and it's crazy. And it literally, it literally happened, man. The dude, the white dude, literally said, "I don't even remember his name." But here's the funny part, right? Is um, we're driving, and he's like, he's speeding, right? He's going fast as hell. But it's all like back. It's all like highway roads because it's like you know woods, and we're close mm -hmm. to the reservation. And so he he just pulls over. And he's like, he's like, here, you drive. And my brother starts driving. So I was like, all right. So my brother starts driving and we're, we don't even know exactly where we're going. You know, like we're, we're literally just going to the reservation. We don't know a house. We ain't got an address. There's no such thing as Google maps at this time. Right. Like, so we had, we're just aimlessly driving towards this reservation. And finally, like we're calling this dude chunk again, calling him, calling him, calling. Finally, he answers. And he's like, bro, I can't get a hold of fro. He don't know that we're on our way. And we're like, bro, we got to ride. Like, where you live at so he starts like giving us his coordinates right and um so my brother's driving it's this dude a white dude he's like just keep going he opens up the door my brother's probably doing like 70 he opens and starts pissing out the door you know, while we're driving <laughs> he's he's wasted I mean, my i'm laughing my brother's looking back at us he's like should i push him out should i push him out? he's looking back at me and mindy we're like no no don't push him out you know what i'm saying like my brother he's, he's retarded so so any we end up getting there and um and, and, uh, we end up, we end up, you know, we thank the dude. We got lucky. Thank the, thank our lucky stars. The dude chunks like, yeah, I don't know what happened to Fro. And, and we end up finding out like, like Fro basically spent all our money, man. And he was just out there like partying and, you know, our trip didn't consist of selling much crack, put it like that. Like, you know, Mondi, Mondi sold what he had. And, uh, we kind of just partied up there for a few days and got to know a bunch of the guys you know, and the plan was to come back and we did go back, you know, so, but the, but that was, that was my first introduction to the, to the Indian reservation, it, the craziest intro I, I've ever had. And, uh, but, you know, I think it speaks to a larger point in, in the fact that, you know, these, these organizations, I'm not just going to say Latin Kings, man, but these organizations, you know, I guess you can say by design and, and kind of out of necessity, you know, they become parasites when they're looking for their host, so to speak, you know, any, any place and, and any community can become victim. And I think, uh, you know, a more modern version of that kind of theory is like the MS 13s. I mean, you look at how they just came over and just kind of infested and infiltrated areas and just became 
probably one of the biggest gangs in the in the United States and and the most deadly. And so I think that's the moral behind my story, even though it comes with humor and it comes with, you know, it comes with like real life stories. I think the idea here is to kind of shed light on how easy it is to turn something innocent into something that is deplorable, you know, because these guys on the reservation, man, as crazy as it sounds, and it has to, there has to be validity to it, which is that they're all family, you know, in some way. And once there's one gang there, now there has to be another gang there to oppose that. Like, that's just, you know, that's, that's, it's almost biology when it comes to that, to that kind of lifestyle. So there started being murders up there. There started being, you know, there started being heavy drug selling. And, and so it's like, these are the kind of things that happen and, and it trickles down and it has the ripple effect to like what we talked about, you know, with, with innocent people getting hurt and directly and indirectly. And, and this just speaks to that message more and more, man, is that in order to really have conversations about trying to even think of ways to help change, you have to have the stories that match up and explain how it got there in the first place. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and I think I would add to that too, that this is a great example of showing that, you know, when we think of gangs, most average person that has never experienced a game, we, we associate them with like big cities, you know, large communities that end up getting, having gangs, take a hold in the town, but this is a great example. I'm assuming this Indian reservation was not very large. When we think of gangs, we think of them as being in large, larger areas, bigger cities, things like that. And this is a great example. I assume this Indian reservation was rather small and, and where a gang can take a foothold in just about anywhere, you know, like, you're not you're not immune to a gang just because you're in a smaller community. It could very well happen right next to you if right, if all right. everything falls right. No, that's you know? that's perfectly that's a that's that's a perfectly well said example because the reason why that's pertinent is because you know these the, the gangs are like weeds, man. And huh. and you know, especially like if you think about like a reservation, I don't know if you've ever been to an Indian reservation, but like you know, like I said a lot of these, these, you know, the people are are related in some way. Right. So let's just say there wasn't an opposition, right. Let's say that that never came into play. Well, the few gang members that are there are going to recruit a few more gang members and a few more gang members. And before you know it, it's going to be the predominant force on that reservation. And so regardless of how small it started, it's a snowball, man, you know, Mm -hmm. and then, and then ultimately they're going to look for a place to migrate to. That's just the evolution of it, you know? Right. And, and I think it's almost probably foundational for a lot of gangs, if you think about it, because, you know, the MS-13s, from my understanding, their, their origin story started in California, but they were known as, like, taggers and, like, you know, like stoners. And they turned into, like I said, probably, you know, at this point, the most violent street gang in the country if not the world. And so they started in small rural areas, you know, even, even 
because think about it. And and if you if you do the math, right, it, it's smart to go that way because, like right now to this day, there's no MS13s in Chicago. You know why? Because they won't allow that. Think about mm-hmm. that. If they would have tried to come to Chicago and establish a hood, not only would they, they'd have everybody teaming up against them, especially because of the name recognition that they have right now. You know, guys in right. Chicago, gang members in Chicago, everybody's looking for that. They want that title. They want that. They want that stripe uh, under their belt. If you're coming and trying to open up some, like they would have, they would have demolished them guys. You know, and that's mm-hmm. that's in any like. You know, especially Chicago, you know, the motherland of, of gangs in general. You know, now they did. Obviously, they did infiltrate New York, but New York, they it's so big. They started in like Long like Island, some small neighborhood or something like that exactly. where nobody else was existing. Exactly. Basically. Exactly. And yeah. then they played the numbers game. And then before you know it, now they're a force to reckon with, you know. Mm-hmm. And so that's the same premise here, man. It's the same. It's the same concept that goes on throughout history. You know, it's, it's, it's sad. It's, it's sad because it's like, what really can you do about something like that, man, about somebody have an idea and just going somewhere and then basically spreading these weeds out. Right. Right. I mean, how do you, how do you, how do you prevent that from happening? Exactly. And, and you could see it was already at least to some extent spreading because like, well, first I should ask, was Fro being in Black River Falls true? Yeah, yeah, it was. It, it was. was. So that was him kind of spreading it out even further because, you know, if I'm not mistaken, Black River Falls is at least an hour from Eau Claire. So, I mean, yeah. it just, it could have, I mean, I don't, I don't know that it ever did, but this could have ballooned. There could have been a huge Latin King presence up in that area just by this one little yep. subchapter being formed up in, on this Indian reservation had it oh, had sure. enough time. Yep. For sure. It, yep. That's, that's a hundred percent true, man. And, um, yeah, Fro actually caught a case in black river falls. And so, uh, yeah, man, he, he, everybody was, it was, uh, was looking to expand, you know, that's, that's, that's the reality, man, that a lot of people, I don't say a lot of people, but I guess I would say until our indictment, I almost feel like the organized crime and gangs weren't given enough credit. You know, it's like, yeah, they're not smart enough to do that, or they're not big enough to do that, or those guys are too young to think of that. I think that was a, that was a, a stereotype that we faced, especially when all our older brothers got locked up is... Nah, they're, they're, they're young. They're, they're not that ahead of the game. And although we were dumb and obviously we got brought down, there were a lot of times that we got, you know, we got ahead of them, you know, we beat them. And, and to an extent, even with the indictment, man, like cooperation is key. You know, without that, there is no indictment. So yeah, man, I think that that's, that's, that's the, uh, that's the danger is to underestimate the capabilities of small gangs, small guys, the small guy that has that ambition, you know, not saying the Latin Kings are small, but just, I'm talking about in a general term. Yeah. Like your region of Latin Kings was rather small at that point in time. I'm curious. And if you have an opinion on this, so 
You've said previously on probably this podcast, and I know for sure on Milwaukee Mafia, that this indictment that you went through, it like majorly, majorly crippled the Latin Kings in Milwaukee, right? Yes. So yes. In my based opinion. on what you saw while you were, before the indictment went down, what do you think the Latin Kings would have looked like in the Milwaukee area had that indictment never happened? Wow, good question. Wow, man, that's vast. I mean, do you, know, you think, I think do you think Fond du Lac, Appleton, it would have all spread all the way up into areas well, it would like have depended, that? Honestly, it would have depended on the leadership because, you know, even when I was out in 05, I was out for a grand total of three months, right? Um, in the summer of 05, there were a lot of kings that were, there were so many kings. The majority of 19th Street, was already locked up on state charges. So our numbers were dwindling before the indictment. But there was also kind of a stalemate in recruiting, in 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 basically any type of nation meeting or anything like that. It was it was it was a standstill, man. Like nobody wanted to move. Everybody felt like something was coming. They just couldn't be for sure. Now, if you take that element out of there and say that, you know, we're oblivious and nothing's going to happen. Well, we still have those guys locked up. So then it's going to be on the ambition of whoever is, is leading. You, you see what I'm saying? Because I've seen through generations, not generations, but through a couple generations, how a leader makes a massive difference as far as recruiting. There's some there's some leaders that want to recruit and they're more focused on numbers, you know, and they'll bring in questionable, you know, guys with questionable characteristics to say the least. And, mm -hmm. and they'll allow them in. And then there's other guys that are stringent and those guys are probably going to have a smaller chapter, you know, and, but you're going to have the quality when it comes to the, you know, not the quantity, you're going to have the quality. So, it would have depended on the leader and, and I guess finding that happy medium to where you can get solid guys, but then produce them in mass numbers. Yeah. I mean, once you get that on a big scale where you're not interrupted by consistently going to jail or this guy going to jail or that guy going to jail um, and you're allowed grow with within your chapter and your gang and your guys and then grow within, you know, your, your communication with Chicago yeah, man, the, the possibilities are endless. And that's that's why it's so important for these stings and these indictments, because I think that's one thing the feds do understand. You know, they do understand. They don't underestimate that fact, because for everyone you take out, a new one comes in. That's always been the old saying, you know, and. Um, you know, if 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 you want to if you want to go back to the to your initial statement and liken it to to what Milwaukee is like now. Yeah, I believe that it's a shell of itself uh, from when I was out, but I'm not in the gang no more. You know, <laughs> I'm not, I don't and have, that, you, you know, I don't have that insight. You know, uh, all I can tell you is what presence isn't recognized. You know, I know what we were doing when I was out there and I know what's, you know, what's told to me that's not being done now. But to me, I think that's a good thing because if you got a bunch of guys and they're all close and they understand that that's not the way to go 
and everybody shouldn't be our enemy. And maybe we should do a couple more things right. I mean, not only are you safe and you're making the streets safer, you're making men smarter because the boys that are growing up in these men, like, listen, man, all the guys that I grew up around, man, it's sad to say, but had been in and out of jail their whole lives. I mean, guy, I, I've named them off to you. Jay, you know, in and out of jail. Dre. Dre, I haven't mentioned him much because he, he was always in jail. <laughs> I, bear, I have few stories with him, but I have some, you know, but he was in and out. Champ, in and out of prison. Boy. And I mean, it means, and it goes down the line. And then the guy you're talking to right now. I mean, mm-hmm. 15 years and in two years, that's 17 years. I'm 35. That's half my life. So imagine if I wasn't out of the gang, you know, where, where do I go? So yeah, man, I do feel like it's, it's, it crippled the gang in Milwaukee and maybe it, maybe, maybe it's not as crippled as I think. And maybe they're just, they just learn from our mistakes. Maybe they're smarter. I don't know. And, um, and that's what I was just going to say is, is that based on being the fact that you're no longer even in Milwaukee, you can't really say that it's, it's gone down to nothing. It could just be that they're way smarter about what they're doing now. And they're not doing it out on a main stage for everybody to see. Like it could right. still very well exist. It could even be bigger than it was when you, when you were experiencing it, it just isn't as loud and, and as right, obvious right. that it's there now. Right. And not as that's violent. an interesting thought. Right. Right. You know? And I, I mean, listen, and I think that, you know, obviously, like, if you look at statistics, right, like, you know, you understand what the murder rate and violence rate was like when we were out opposed to where it's at now on the south side. It, it, there's, a, there's a wide margin, you know, there's a big, big gap there. Um, but I don't think violence is the only barometer. Um, I think that I think it's a, a point of emphasis because ultimately, like I said, you know, Latin kings were always solo. So there's going to be violence. But it's not the barometer, you know, and they could have mended some of them relationships all those years I was gone. You know, some of those alliances that turned into wars that maybe maybe they turned back into alliances. I don't know, you know, mm-hmm. and and I'll be 100 percent honest with you. I'm glad I don't know. I don't want to know, you know, uh, you know, I wish the best for 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 all those guys. I got no ill intent towards any one of those guys, man. And, and you know, I hope they all make it out the street, to be honest with you. That's that's not my quarrel. My quarrel isn't with them. It's it's more about it's more about giving the young guys a chance, and mm-hmm. uh, it's more about giving them a chance to see and really recognize, um, you know, what this lifestyle is. And if they still choose to go that route, so be it. But having the information, education available, that's what's going to make a difference. <clears throat> um, let me think. Do I? Oh, the, the other things I. I kind of want to touch touch a little bit on is, is um first of all, and you probably don't know the answer to this, but through that whole story, one of the things that was really interesting to me is that, do you know the backstory of how somebody from Milwaukee in the Latin Kings started dating somebody that was on an Indian reservation up in Eau Claire? For our listeners that don't know Wisconsin, that's what a probably four or five hour difference. Yeah. So, well, <clears throat> first of all, it's it wasn't Eau Claire where the actual. It was about an hour outside of Eau Claire. It but was, but still, was, like, okay, but, but so it's close. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's even further. It's even. I mean, to strengthen your point, it's even further. Yeah. But um, I guess I guess if I had to, you know, put two and two together, 
you know, Milwaukee is the biggest city in Wisconsin. So um, a lot of times people migrate there, even if, you know, even if they don't plan on staying there and, and probably that's how some of these relationships were made. Um, or, you know, maybe somebody was born in Milwaukee, but they have family on the reservation. I think that's probably a possibility. And so, yeah, there's no, I, I don't, I don't know specifically with, with the, like with the, cause there was a few women that were on indictment as well. Um, they got indicted with, with the guys. There was, I think it was like 11 total people that got indicted. Uh, four went to trial. Uh, Champ and Boy both lost, and um, they both got thirty years and ended up getting time back. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I couldn't be a hundred percent sure on exactly on that. how how that how it, likely that was. Yeah, it it just seems like it's a really really strange connection to make. You know, like there's a lot of distance there, and it just seems weird. And then the other thing, and and I think this probably has to play more into like the structure of the Latin Kings, but for me thinking about it so you said champ and boyd went and got this this latin king subchapter created up in the indian reservation so they could sell drugs there um was there a reason they had to create a subchapter up there i mean couldn't you guys have just been running drugs up there selling it to random people and then those people selling it to the people on the indian reservation or is that somehow like a no-no Within the last, no, well, 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 sure, they it could have went like that, but I think I kind of alluded to it. Maybe I didn't expand on it enough, but you know, I, if if I was in Champ's shoes, I think his mindset was probably more along the lines of, if I run drugs up here by myself, do I run the risk of, you know, the natives on the reservation, maybe having a problem with that and coming and trying to disrupt my drug scheme. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't it be smarter to involve them? And then I could make more money and I could have a chapter. You, you see what I'm saying? So it was like, yeah. it, it was kind of like a, it, it was, I mean, it was, it was a pretty, it was, it was a pretty good idea, you know, because it, you, you take out the element of, of competition because yeah. you're, you're essentially recruiting the people from that community, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I think that, I, I think that's a credit to, to him as a leader. You know, there's there. I will always say it about that guy. He was a bona fide leader, and if he would have, if he would have used his characteristics in business, I'm telling you, that dude would have been a millionaire, millionaire. because he was <laughs> he was that kind of he had that kind of presence and demanded that kind of respect just from walking into a room. You know, so yeah, man, I think that was probably his idea. Maybe boy, maybe him and boy got together and thought of it. I don't know. I'm not 100 percent sure. But if I was in this position, looking back, that's probably what I would have thought. Is, yeah, this is the best way to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, and I can totally see. And plus, if you go to to Chicago and you say, "I want to start a chapter up in this place," that they probably look on at that as kind of a like a "Hey, good on you! You took the initiative to go out and find this place that was willing to start a chapter." You know, right? No, I mean, I, mean I don't know sure. how it, much that upper tier Latin King logic work but i would feel like that would be kind of a good thing to have on your latin king resume for a lot yeah no for sure i mean ultimately right ultimately those guys are going to say okay well let's look at the numbers right like like Mm -hmm. let's look at the numbers how many members are you talking you know and then money's always an issue because chicago wants their kickback you know so it's like all right well what the numbers look like and then you start hearing numbers you're like okay yeah you got permission you know what i'm saying so it's like it's 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 one of those things where 
yeah, they're 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 happy, but at the same time, they're not fools. You know, they're not just going to grant anybody permission. I, you know, I'm not going to be able to go and uh, open up a chapter in in Waukesha, you know, mm-hmm. somewhere where it's you know, you know, a community like that. You know, obviously for listeners that that um, that aren't familiar with Wisconsin and, and the demographic, you know, Waukesha is like a, an extreme suburb. And they have violence there. I know they have occasional violence there, and you know, but they don't have, you know, they got the white picket fence, right? Yeah. So it's like, you know, that that that's they're still apprehensive, you know, because ultimately it's about how's it going to affect us, you know? Yeah, we'll let you do it, but how's it going to affect us? What, mm-hmm. what pros and cons, and and and, and so, what do yeah, we man. get back from it? Basically, yeah. you know, exactly, like, exactly. Yeah, interesting. Yep. So. Something, something I think we should do an episode about because now I don't think we've ever covered this on any of the episodes, but I would be really interested to learn the inner workings of this structure because like you just said, Chicago wants to kick back and stuff. And I would just be curious of how that all flowed because obviously your chapter was always kicking back money to Chicago. Is that basically? Yeah. Well, we owe them dues. Yeah. We definitely owe them dues. And, and, um, you know, I mean, that's a bridge we can cross as far as, you know, I can give you what I knew for sure as much. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of things that were over my head, especially mm-hmm. at that age that I wouldn't know the inner workings, especially in Chicago and how they um, kind of delegated, you know, their their responsibilities. And, and it, it would be tough. I mean, I can I can imagine what it was, because I, I, if I'm guessing, it's probably almost exactly what we were doing, but just on a huge scale. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, we can, we can definitely talk about that and, and, and we can bring up the philosophies of the manifesto, man, if you wanted to, because like I said, man, I never said in, in, um, in anything I've ever talked on any pod, you know, the podcast. And I've never said that the origin of the Latin Kings was, was a bad concept. You right. Know, I, I do, I do, I do believe that the, the thought of what maybe he he wanted it to be um, was a beautiful thing, um, but what it turned out to be was was a disaster. So, yeah. but listen, man, I I know the conceptually is even as long as it's been since I've had an actual manifesto in my hands, I still know a lot of it. And for whatever I don't, I could just I could just Google it. Yeah. So, <laughs> You know, I'm sure we can just find a full manifesto and just go through it yeah. and then we can yeah, pick sure. some points to talk about. Cause I think that I definitely think yeah. that would be a very interesting episode. Yeah, man. And it's, it's even now, right? Like even now, like I was a kid then. Right. So yeah, I was trying to apply that to my life and incorporate it in my life as best I could, but to really grasp what it was, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't that mentally elevated to do that. Now, looking back at some of the stuff, there were some really, there was some depth behind it, man. You know, even like I think I mentioned to you, like Confucius, you know, he's like an Asian philosopher. Like they they basically used one of his parables like they have they have great concepts to really to really grab you, bro, to really bring you in and and to make you feel a part of that. And so it just it's 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 such a solid um, feeling and foundation that, you know, there's there's no surprise to me why. They are so successful. I was going to say why they were, but why they are so successful, so successful in recruiting yeah. day after day. We can definitely right, look well, into that. 
yeah, we get, we we gave you a couple snip snippets of things you might hear in future episodes. So, so yeah, I think I think the next one, I think the next one I want to do, I, I'll kind of piggyback off of this, right? And and we'll just kind of talk about the desperation that the life ultimately gives you, right? Because is is as much as we didn't care about money, it doesn't mean we never needed it. Being desperate, being homeless you know, being, you know, a nomad, so to speak, it does things to you. And then when you're already in the street and you can imagine what it can really do to you. So yeah, I think, I think I'll, I'll, I'll kind of just piggyback off of this episode and, and we'll kind of go into a little bit of the desperations of, of maybe some of my own experiences and then, and then just talk about, talk about that in general. That'll be a really cool one. So, all right, then I think we can wrap this one up unless you want to add anything else in Berto. No, I think we're good. All right. Then as usual, if you enjoy this podcast, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. And as always, if you have questions, comments, or anything else you want to tell us, you can reach out to us at normalizedcrime at gmail.com. And we will be back in next week with another episode. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to Normalized Crime. Stay tuned for the next episode.